morning, Providence. If I have not met you before, my name is Ryan Epley. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it is so sweet to worship the Lord with you. Um, I just stop and listen to you guys sing. And it encourages my heart um, when you have a tired and weary week just to hear God's people sing um, the truth about God is so encouraging. So thankful to sing and worship the Lord, but now we get to worship the Lord through the reading of his word. So we're going to be in John chapter three. We finish up John chapter three today. We've been going through this series um, through the whole gospel of John, and it's entitled Fully Alive. And the reason why it's entitled Fully Alive, Brian talked about the very first week he launched into this series where at the end of the gospel of John, John chapter 20, John literally writes, he pins the whole purpose of this book, why he put every letter, every word down. And he says two reasons, that you would believe in Jesus and that through him you would have life. And Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he came to bring life and life abundantly. So this whole series of being fully alive is wrapped around in that truth that in Christ, we experience life to the fullest, which to me is so amazing because when I think of life, a lot of times, I feel like life is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. There's lots and lots of pieces and we're trying to fit them all together and feel like this could be overwhelming at times. How can I live life to the fullest? How can I live life without regrets? And what we find in the gospel of John is he starts to unfold and answer these questions that we have. The, the, the deepest questions of our heart, we find the answers to through the words of Christ in the gospel of John. I mean, the questions are like, when life becomes so monotonous, you know, how do I find purpose? How do I find meaning? Christ speaks into that. How can I find the deepest satisfactions in my heart? We find that in the, the gospel of John. Like All these deep heart questions that we have, we find answers in God's word the one who is the very creator and sustainer of life. And so John chapter three opens up a few of the pieces of what it means to be fully alive. We're not gonna cover them all today, but there's several that are in this passage starting in verse 22. And if you don't have a Bible or you forgot to bring yours this morning, there should be one in the rack in front of you um, underneath the chair. It's on page 888. Um, But John chapter three, and we're starting in verse um, 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, this is John the Baptist, also was baptizing Anon near Salim because the water was plentiful there and the people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answers, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, 
but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in the earth in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Take a moment now to pray that God would speak to you this morning through his word. Take a moment to pray for me that I would hold up God in all of his beauty and glory well this morning. Christ, we thank you that you came, that we would have life and that we would have it to the full. We'd have life and have it abundantly through Christ. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would just open up our eyes to see how we can be fully alive in you. How we can see and know and have hope and believe and in believing find life. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we walk through this text, there's three main factors or three main aspects for us to see about being fully alive that are revealed in this text. And like I said, this is not gonna cover all of it. We've got the whole rest of the the gospel of John to unpack some of these other ways that God makes us fully alive in Christ. But we have three we're gonna talk about this morning. And the first is this, that Jesus makes us fully alive by completing our joy. Jesus makes us fully alive by completing our joy. This whole conversation, verse 25 through 36, all starts, it says in verse 25, when there's this dispute, there's this argument over what? Purification. John's disciples are arguing and the Jew, a Jew is arguing about, okay, how, how do we have our sins forgiven? How are we purified? And so they're having some debate over this and they look around and they're like, well, John's saying that we need to repent of our sins over here and then have this baptism attached to it. So his disciples are arguing that. And then the Jews are most likely, most likely arguing, wait, wait a second, no, it's, it's the law and the sacrificial system that's put in place. And so law and sacrifice, that's when we're gonna get our purification. And they're like, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about belief. And then John the Baptist himself is saying, look at Jesus, behold, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. So like, okay, let's, let's go and let's talk to John because John's really gonna have the answer. And what's interesting is, They could have just gone to Christ to to ask this question, but they don't. And even how John's disciples refer to Jesus or lack thereof referring to Jesus is really interesting. They're trying to honestly elevate John over Jesus. I mean, look at what they say as they go to ask John this question in verse 26. He says, Rabbi, you remember he, this is Jesus, remember he who was with you across the Jordan? Yeah, you remember that guy, the one whom you bore witness to? He's like, you know, you're better than him. Like you're the one that baptized him. You're the one that started his ministry. And so you're the one that can really speak into this purification discussion that we're having, this dispute that we're having. You can really speak into this truth. And what I love is John says, it's not about me. 
And not only does he answer their question, but he even takes it another level lower, deeper into the heart. Because what John does is he says, you wanna know about purification? I'll answer that question for you, but I'll teach you about pure joy as well. It's not solely about having forgiveness, although that is extremely important, but that's not the finish line. It's not like, oh, okay, we're pure now. We're good. We don't need anything else. Let's move on. No, not at all. He's like, there's a, a purity of joy. There's a completeness of joy that we find in Christ. And so, yes, he speaks this truth about Jesus, but he's very, very clear here. He's very clear that he is not the Christ. Look at verse 28. He says, you, you guys have heard me say this, speaking to his disciples, that I bear, bear, you bear me witness that I've said this, that I am not the Christ. He's super clear here. Don't wanna be, I don't wanna be confused. I'm not the one that's gonna forgive sins. I'm not the one that's gonna purify you. That's Jesus. That is, that is the Christ. That is the Messiah. Look to him. And John already is elevating Christ up into his proper place. And what I love is how he describes what he does when he lifts Christ up in his proper place. At the end of verse 29, he says, therefore my joy is now complete. Don't miss this, this is huge. The joy of mine is now complete. It's not, well, it's, it's okay, my, I've got joy now. No, it's completed, it's finished, it's done. It's everlasting. This joy doesn't fade. This joy doesn't fail. And he's like, through Christ and elevating Christ, I find my joy and it is complete in him. And he follows that statement up by saying, he must increase and I must decrease. And there's a lot of joy to be found in this world. We can find joy in our jobs. We can find joy in success. We can find joy in our families. We can find joy in the beautiful weather that we've been having not so much in the pollen, but in the weather, we can find a lot of joy in that. And there's nothing wrong with finding joy in those areas. Like God has given us work to do and to do diligently for him. And God has created families to be lived in for him and for his glory. But the joy that, that John talks about here, the difference between the joys we get from all of those things is the joy he talks about is an everlasting joy. It's a joy that completes us. I mean, all these other joys, whether it's through success or our jobs or our families or relationships or marriage, all of those joys end at some point. All those joys are temporal. Now, those are very, very deep wells, which we can continue to draw joy out of over and over again, but it is not an everlasting joy. None of these things alone are gonna satisfy or gonna complete the joy in our lives. It's not. And we live in a world that is hungering and thirsting for this joy that will satisfy their hearts. They're anxiously searching for this joy that will complete them. And I really believe the reason why is because that's the way God has created us. God has created us to have a relationship with him and in him find completeness of joy but around us, there's always this anxiousness of people looking for this joy and coming up lacking. Just two months ago at the Golden Globe Awards, Jim Carrey gets up to say who won um, one of the Golden Globes. And as he starts, he, he starts to unfold this heart's desire that, that is mentioned, this desire for satisfaction. 
So this video clip is just a minute long, but this is just two months ago. I want you guys to see Jim Carrey as he is pouring out his heart, but in a very funny way, but it's showing his lack of joy. Watch this video real quick. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. This is a man that does not know Christ. And he says, I'm striving after success, but I know it ultimately won't fulfill me. And what he's speaking is a heart's desire that our coworkers have, that our neighbors have, that oftentimes we have when we try to find joy completed outside of Christ. But what this, what Jim Carrey did is he leaves you begging the question, if ultimate success is not gonna satisfy me, if three golden globes is not gonna satisfy me, then what is going to satisfy me? What is gonna fill this, this hole in my heart of, of just longing for something more? What's the answer to that question? And he doesn't have an answer. He's just like, it's not gonna satisfy me. I don't know what the answer is. But John in this text tells us the answer. He tells us what's gonna satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And it's looking to Christ, the creator of life. He says, when I start to decrease and Christ starts to increase, then my joy is complete. It's not elevating ourselves is gonna make us truly satisfied and truly happy. That's not where we're gonna find it. It's rather elevating the one whom life is all about. And it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And I know our struggle with this in our heart is if we start to decrease ourselves and increase Christ, then nobody's gonna care about us because I have to watch out for me because nobody else cares about me. Everybody else is living for themselves. And so if I don't care about myself, I don't think about myself. If I start to elevate Christ and start to love others more, then I'm gonna get lost in the shuffle. People are gonna completely forget about me. And this is a lie in our hearts that we must speak truth to. Look back at what he says in verse 27 as John speaks. He says that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Our grasp for for satisfaction by making us more and better and more important is not gonna satisfy us. It's by making Christ more. And in Christ, we have all that we need. We can't receive even one thing apart from God giving us that. 
So this lie of like, if I start to, to decrease, then I'm gonna be forgotten. No, you're gonna be remembered by the very one you need to provide for you. And we're gonna find ultimate satisfaction because it's not a striving after things, it's a rest in him. Knowing that when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things that I need will be given to me. So we can rest in that truth. We find life in that truth. We can be fully alive in knowing that in Christ, we can be fully satisfied. But part of being fully alive is knowing that Christ is the one who satisfies our deepest longings. But the second thing I want us to see is that Jesus makes us fully alive by revealing our purpose. By revealing our purpose. Verses 31 through 34, as I was reading the section 35 as well, it's a really confusing section. John, what are you talking about? It's it kind of like he's, he's bouncing back and forth in between the two of them and it's, it's just confusing. But what John's saying, I wanna just pause in each one of these sections. Verse 31, he talks about above all twice. Look back there. He who comes from above is above all. And at the end of verse 31, he who's from heaven is above all. This is speaking of Christ. He is above all things. And then verse 35, it brings it back around again. It says, the father has given all things into Christ's hand. What he is doing is he's elevating Christ. He just said, I must decrease, he must increase. And now he's doing it. Christ is above all things. Look to him for all things that we need. It's found in Christ. It's not found in me. And we start to think about it. Christ is the, the all-knowing God. And so we look around our world and we see a lot of wise men businessmen, wise teachers. And we say, oh man, they've done great in their job. They've done great in their ministry. And we see all this, but Christ is above all of them because though they are wise, Christ is all knowing. And we can look around our world and we can see men of great power and great statue, but their power has been given to them from God. He's the one that has all power. And what's so interesting about this is he has all power And yet he gives that power away to those, but never loses a bit. He is infinite in that power. He's above man, but even what's more interesting is he is above time and space. He's an internal God. He is the everlasting God, the word says. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the alpha and the omega. This is the God whom we sing to. This is the God whom we worship. This is the God that we read about. And so John's like, he's above all, look to him, look to him. He's the one that life is all about. You want purpose? You want meaning in life? Look to the one that created it. You want the inside track to know what life's all about? Look to the one that founded it. It's all about him. And as he sits there on his throne above us in all of his wisdom and all of his knowledge and all of his eternal might, he can speak down to us in time. He can say, this is what you should do. This is what you should not do. And we shouldn't be offended by that because he is the all-wise, all-good, all-knowing God who speaks truth into our lives. So John, when he speaks here, he's like, look to Jesus, it's not about me. And he says, you know, there's one that's from the earth that speaks in an earthly way, and then there's one from heaven. He's like, I'm the one from earth. I'm the one that speaks in an earthly way. Like, I can sit here and talk about God. I can tell you facts about God. I can tell you how beautiful God is. But what John says here is look to the one that is from heaven because in verse 34, it says, because he who God has sent utters the words of God. 
don't miss, miss this. Jesus is not speaking about God. When Jesus speaks, he is speaking the very words of God. So when we read the Gospel of John, when we turn the pages of the Bible, we're literally reading the words of God. We're hearing from the mouth of God. He's saying Jesus is above all these things. You wanna hear about life? You wanna know what it's all about? Listen to him. He is above all things. And because he's above all things, he has every right to speak light into the darkest areas of our hearts. It's just a matter of, are we going to believe this? Are we gonna believe God's truth? And how do we know we're believing God's truth? How do we know that we're obeying Christ's commands? Well, the first thing he says in here, verse 33, is whoever receives the testimony of Christ sets his seal to this, that God is true. He sets his seal to this. Now, setting your seal to something was what they would do at that time. Wealthy people would have rings that had a symbol on it and they would stamp it like they were signing on the dotted line. Like I'm committing to this. I'm bonding myself to this. So when John uses these words and says, you're setting your seal to this, that God is true, it's I'm committing my life to this. I'm, I'm putting my life at stake on this. I'm setting my seal that God is true. And he's just said that the one that comes from above, that he is God, speaks the words of God. God is true. What he's pointing to is that Jesus is God. And we must believe in that truth. And when we do, we set our seal to that truth. We commit that so that Jesus is not an appendage to our lives. He is primary to our lives. We can't find the purpose to our life if we have the purpose just hanging out here. Well, it's just a, it's a part of my life, but it's not the purpose of my life. No, Christ is above all. He's meant to be central to our lives, to our everyday lives. There was a st- study done by um, Barna Research Group recently where they interviewed millennials, youth, and asked them the question, is God important to you? And overwhelmingly, these millennials said, yes, God is important to me. But as the research went on and they started asking them more questions about how they spend their time and their thoughts and how they build their relationships, what they found is that God was only in a fraction of their answers. And what these people are saying is, yes, God's important to me, but not in how I spend my time or how I invest my my money or how I think about things. Like, well, God is important, but he's not important in any of those areas. And there's this divorce that's happening and there leaves this longing of what is my purpose in life? It's all about Christ. But when we try to make Christ this appendage on our lives, we end up empty. We don't live fully alive. We start living for others. We start living for ourselves and we're not satisfied. We're not fully alive in Christ. Christ is above all. He's the one that's, that is to be lived for. All life is for his glory. Every decision that we make is to glorify God from what we wear. And I'm not just talking about women and, and the clothing they wear. I'm talking about men, how we spend money on our clothes, 
how we think about our clothing, that is to the glory of God. The food that we eat, God says, that is to be done for his glory as well. The people that we spend time with, it's for his glory, whether we're spending time with those that don't know Christ or those that we love that are family. Both of those times are for his glory. How we spend our money, all of this is to be filtered through the very words of Christ to know how we are to live for him. Even down to some of the smallest things that we think don't matter. How we spend time with our our grandchildren. How we spend time with our neighbors. How we spend time with our coworkers. Things that just become the monotony of life. This is very central to who we are as Christians. Because we are thinking through how do we glorify Christ most in every one of those areas. Because he is above all and it's all about Christ. And in that we find true satisfaction. The thing that's interesting is as I think about this truth, I can can agree with it. Yes, Christ, you are above all. I, I agree, that's a good theological truth. You are this sovereign king on your throne. Like, I believe that. But there's something within me that struggles to submit to that day in and day out. And I just started to wrestle through that. What is it? What is it that's within us that, that struggles to submit to God as our King and our Lord? And I think it's ultimately because our heart is bent and it's distorted. And ultimately, we desire to be God. Our hearts desire to be above all things. We want to be the ones calling the shots. We want to be the ones making all the decisions. We want to be the ones that are creating our self-worth through our success instead of finding our self-worth in Christ. Our hearts are bent towards that way because we want to be God. We want to be the ultimate authority. And so we struggle with that. And I think the reason why we struggle with that even on a deeper level is because we're afraid that God might tell us no. Or God might tell us something that we don't want to do. And the reality is he is going to tell us to do things we don't want to do. He is. Think about the Bible. Even in Genesis, he tells Abraham, hey, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Whoa, no, God, I don't want to do that but he's obedient and God provides another sacrifice. And ultimately one day would provide the best sacrifice through his son, Jesus. We fast forward just a little bit further and you get to Moses and God's like, hey, I want you to go into Egypt and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And think about this, God is speaking words to Moses. He is audibly hearing God speak a lot of us long for that. I wish God would just tell me what to do. Would you speak to me during this time? And what is Moses' response? Uh, I don't want to do that. No, like that's not on my to-do list today. Like I, I don't want to do that. And honestly, we'd be the same way. A lot of times if God even spoke audibly to us and said, do this, our hearts are so bent. We would say, no, no, God, I don't want to do that. You get to, to Jonah God, God says to Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to share the gospel with people. And guess what? They're gonna believe. So it's gonna be successful ministry. Jonah's like, Mm-mm, no, no, I did not sign up to talk to them about, about you. No, I'm not gonna talk to them about God. I'll talk to your people about God, but I'm not gonna talk to them. And so he starts to run. All, 
All this is just pointing to the fact that God is going to lead us to do things that we don't wanna do. But the truth of the matter is this, that what God calls us to do is what is best for us to do. What God calls us to do is what is best for us to do because he is above all. He sees the beginning from the end. He is good and he is faithful. He promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. So we can rest and trust and obey him and find fullness of life knowing that he is above all. We can find meaning and purpose in a monotonous life because Christ is above all. It is all for his glory. The last thing I want us to see in this text is that Jesus makes us fully alive by giving us living hope. Jesus makes us fully alive by giving us living hope. This is found in verse 36. We're just gonna walk through this verse as we end here. Verse 36 says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Now for a long time, when I heard eternal life, I thought eternal life was kind of like a savings bond or retirement, where it's something that, you know, I've got, but I'm not gonna get to enjoy it or experience it for years and years to come because it's just kind of, it's out there in the distance. What's great is when we get to John 17, you'll see this, but John 17, three, Jesus defines what eternal life is. And Jesus says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do y'all get what he's saying there? Eternal life's not in the distance. We don't have to wait for it. Eternal life starts now. And I don't believe that Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that we could eke through life to try to have some kind of meaning of existence so that one day we could hopefully die and then finally enjoy heaven for all eternity. Yes, now we've reached eternal life. That's not what what Christ is saying here. That's not what what John is saying here. When he says eternal life, Jesus describes it. It starts now, it's here and now. The fullness of life can be had now. It's found in him. Our eternal life begins in Christ and a relationship with him. So if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and you've confessed your sins and laid them on him, your eternal life starts now, not when you die and you get to heaven one day or when he comes back. It begins now in this moment, we experience the fullness of life. But the sad thing is true that if you reject Christ or you don't believe in him, verse 36, it says, he shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. It's so interesting to think that People can get up, go to work, work diligently, come home, watch TV, go to sleep, get up, do it the next morning over and over again, and never be fully alive. Don't miss what he says here. It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. These people are the walking dead. They need us to speak hope in this life. A living hope in this life. 
And what's so interesting with verse 36 is what it's saying here is that Christ and believing in him is not optional, but it is essential to being alive. It's essential. It's not optional. It's essential to know and to believe in Christ if you're going to live life to the fullest. If you're going to have abundant life, it's found in him. And this living hope that we find gives us this eternal life and living hope that we find speaks not only to the here and now, but also to death. We also do have hope in our eternal life that goes on for all of eternity. And there's a lost world that needs to hear that truth. They need this living hope because they're, they're dwelling in darkness. And verse 36 even says that this is an angry darkness, that the wrath of God remains. It's not placed, it remains on them for their sinfulness. But we as Christians that live this full life can speak into their darkness and allow God to give them great life. We can speak into their depression with death and not knowing what's next and give them eternal life that starts here now and goes on well past their death. I've got a, a good friend who is a, is a neighbor, actually started as a neighbor and has become a friend. Um, his name's Jason. And all of us were hanging out, uh, this was a couple months ago, all of us were hanging out and uh, Jason tells the group of guys that are from our cul-de-sac that um, his mo- mother has just now been placed into hospice care and all the guys in the the circle speak to to jason Um, the guys in the circle none of them have abundant life and they all look to jason in this moment where his mom is about to die and say say i'm really sorry that's just a part of life like each one of them there's probably six of us each one of them i'm really sorry it's just a part of life and i was there and I, i i gave my sympathy as well i'm sorry um, but as I walked home, I just started thinking more and more about that. And I'm like, that just rubs me the wrong way. This is just a part of life. So I looked for an opportunity to, to talk to Jason again. Uh, a week or two had passed by and I, I saw him. I said, hey, I've been praying for you and um, just wanted to see how your mom was doing. And he said, yeah, my mom passed away. And I said, I'm sorry. Um, but I don't think about that conversation where everybody just says that, Death is just a part of life. And he cut me off real quick. He said, yeah, that's what I just have to keep telling myself because that's the only way I can get by. That death is just a part of life. And I said, Jason, death is not a part of life. It's a perversion of life. Christ hates death more than you do, more than I do. It wasn't a part of his original creation. And here we have Jason who is struggling and the truth that he's telling himself is that it's just a part of life. Church, may we never underestimate the beauty and the glory of the hope we have in Christ Jesus. We have to speak this truth to people that don't know this truth. We cannot hold it back. We can't allow people to sit in this darkness and be blinded and just live in their despair. No, we want them to be fully alive. And we find that in Jesus Christ. So we must go to our neighborhoods and the nations to tell others, this is how we are fully alive in Christ. May we never, 
ever underestimate his power and his might and his gospel. Let's pray. Christ, I'm so grateful for how you make us fully alive or how you give us meaning to this monotonous life because Lord, it is centered on you. Christ, I'm thankful that through you we can be ultimately satisfied no matter what comes. Whether it's good times or bad times, God, in you we have ultimate satisfaction. And Lord, I thank you for the living hope we have in Christ. One that will never fail us, never let us down. A living hope that is always growing and evolving and changing. Lord, but it is all grounded in you. So Lord, I ask that you would give us great wisdom to live fully alive in you. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.